When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What better time than to talk about the Cavs? Right now, tomorrow, yesterday, literally any time this season, honestly, is a good time to talk Cavs. And here we're back. This is my first non-Browns podcast in probably over a year. And I'm ex- I'm more than excited to talk Cavs. And when it was brought up that um, one of the Waiting for Next Year guys was like, hey, what cast podcast can I listen to besides the chase down that does a weekly podcast? And I was like, wait, that is a great thing for waiting for next year to do. So I'm your co I'm your host, Josh Ploha joined by Seth. He just joined us. What? Like three, four weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Hasn't been long. Kind of dove in with this awesome Cavalier season, did a few articles and, couldn't couldn't wait to talk a little bit live about uh, this awesome season. Yeah, so if you haven't read his articles yet, be sure to do that. But he's also joining us for the first time, making his WFNY podcast debut. And as usual, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. This podcast, like always, is brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network. And yet tonight, I mean, I feel like we're jumping we're t- jumping on the bag- bandwagon per se, <laughs> but. I mean, it's so easy. To, we could literally talk. For, we were, we, me and Seth were talking about this prior to the podcast. We could literally talk about the Cavs tonight for hours and hours on end, and never, like, always have an interesting discussion point, and never have like a boring conversation. I mean, this there's just so many different avenues you can take to talk about this incredible Cavs season so far. Forty nine games in. Tried to whittle down my Google Doc from, you know, started with 16 pages, went down to four. I got like six note cards over here. There's so much content, so much good, exciting stuff to talk about. We're going to have a hard time getting off before midnight. It's going to be tough. I wish. (laughs) And by the way, Seth over here talking about note cards. I hope he didn't study up for this podcast because I literally did no studying. But hey, if, if Seth wants to make his debut and study up with note cards, it is what it is. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, I have a notepad too. I, I, we, me and you have both written plenty of calf stuff in the last few weeks. Like, I don't even know where to start with this team. Uh, do we start with Jimmy Bickerstaff, coach of the year? Do we start with Kevin Love, potential sixth man of the year? Do we start with the young core and like the, uh, do you know what? Let's start. Let's start with the starting lineup. When JB announced that they were going to start three seven footers, the first question I had was why. In a world, in the NBA world, where the small ball lineup is the lineup that to go to, which is was created by the Golden State Warriors, the Cavaliers decided to switch it up and went with a tall ball lineup. When Colin Sexton wasn't hurt, it was literally two guys six foot two and under, and three guys seven foot and over. And now the NBA is taking notice and not only do NBA teams have a tough time preparing and playing against a defense that has three, seven footers, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the bad teams like the Orlando magics and I I don't know, those teams of the world 
if they just take this this concept that the cats created and just roll with it. Yeah, 100%. I remember when they made that announcement and thinking, okay, we have zero wings starting. We have two small guys in the backcourt. We've got three ginormous dudes. Don't know how they're going to mesh defensively yet. We don't have great spacing. Um, it's it, extremely nervous. And I think that was, you know, not too long after we let Larry Nance Jr. go fan favorite, uh, kind of glue guy that did a little bit of everything. So I remember just being extremely nervous about how are these clunky guys, you know, going to make this work. Um, and, and, you know, the one thing I'll say about the starting lineup is I don't think any of us knew how athletic Mobley was going to be and his emergence, his prowess, his awareness as a 19 year old kid has been just Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, not to pinpoint him, you know, immediately out of the starting lineup, but I think he he really makes everything work with that lineup and covers for so much that you know I don't even know about. I mean, I the one of I mean Darius Garland's leap, which we'll talk about. Jared Allen going from a guy that many questioned why the Cavs gave him five years and a one hundred million dollar extension to being an underpaid big man in the span of 49 games so much can be contributed to why this cast season has been so special so far and why it has a chance to be very, very special. But Evan Mobley's, I mean, he, who saw this coming? Seriously. Whether it's his offensive game, whether it's posting up or taking guys off the dribble or knocking down threes, him and Jared Allen on defense. I mean, I know I listened to the chase down pod, which is, it's certainly a tough, when speaking of Cavs podcast, we will never be able to compete with the Chase Down Pod guys. Justin and Carter do a great job. They had Channing Fry on tonight. And Channing Fry said the Cavs literally have two guys that could finish top five in the NBA Defensive Player of the Year rankings and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And I mean, last night we saw it when the Cavs dominated the Bucks in the final three quarters. If you put Jared Allen on Giannis and it's a that's a type of physicality and like size that Giannis isn't really used to. If he beats Jared Allen, which he might at times, you have Evan Mobley behind him. There's literally I couldn't tell you another team in the NBA that has that type of one-two punch on defense, let alone their offensive game. Yeah, you're 100 right. You know what's a really funny trend I've noticed, and it happened at the Knicks game. Uh, it's happened, you know, all season starting to get uh starting to get the memo when evan mobley when a guard gets switched on to evan mobley that's not an advantage for the guard you know it's happening over and over again got uh the other night kemba walker got stifled and you're right not only uh, not only are there two seven footers that can block your shot so if you get past allen you're into mobley or vice versa um you know if you get mobley in that in that pick and roll action or we force a switch um he's a nightmare he can move with the guards he's so long he's he's blocked you know desmond bain's three-point shot he took it out of his hands earlier when they played grizzlies you know his switch ability has been you know unbelievable so they really have you know four four guys that can go out and switch the perimeter and you know even allen he's he's still got some some quickness there that he can he can bump out in the guard and, and help out in short spurts it's it's been unbelievable to watch the you know the defense continue and, and one of the best and most elite in the in the league I think, honestly, that last part is the craziest part about this, is the Cavs literally have one of the best and most elite defenses in the NBA. I mean, for years, it's been like, if only the Cavs had a defense, 
even with LeBron, if only the Cavs had a defense. You had like the Tristan Thompsons who could play defense, but you couldn't really count on anyone else. And now, literally, like you said, the Cavs as a team have one of the best defenses in the league. And I mean, it's just another thing. Like, how how did this happen? Yes, Evan Mobley was a huge reason why. No one saw this coming. Definitely not the Houston Rockets who passed on him. Definitely not the Detroit Pistons who passed on him. But it's just like, I don't, like, I I can't get the smile off my face when I talk about the Cavs, I guess. Because it's just, I mean, where, like we've said before, where do we start when it comes to talking about the Cavs? And you can literally talk about them for hours because there's just so many different aspects of this team that, like, it just makes me say, wow. Like, I don't know. I don't. I, they're they're over under. No one, literally, no one saw this coming. Let's be honest. The Cavs players maybe could say like, "Yeah, we had we knew something special was brewing in the preseason," but their over under win total was twenty seven, like t- between twenty six and a half and twenty seven and a half in Vegas prior to the season. They are on pace for fifty plus wins. Let that sink in for a second. It's crazy. It's it's just crazy. It's mind boggling. <laughs> When I uh, when I fired up my little go to ESPN playoff prediction um, as of this morning, they they have a ninety eight percentile chance to you know to make the the top eight. You know, of course, after after the play in, um, and just the the expectations of this year, uh, it's been a roller coaster. You know, coming out the first two games, offense looked clunky, defense was brutal. First two games, um, obviously we we've endured injuries, but just the you know the emergence of this team, um, where they're at today. Um, and one of the things that I, I wanted to mention after reviewing the defense and just trying to, you know, follow some of the different defensive statistics. Um, one of the things I was most impressed by, by this team, super young, uh, least amount of fouls per game in the entire season. So they have, you know, they average 16.6 fouls per game. That is um, an interesting one. Yeah. O- over one and a half less than the the next lowest, the, the San Antonio Spurs. So thinking about young guys, young guys do stupid things, stupid fouls. Um, and they're, they're sitting at the very bottom of the league fouls per game. So staying out of trouble, being in the right position, which, you know, passes the eyeball test, Mobley and Allen and crew do that every single night. So. And not only being in the right position, but just like if Darius Garland has an off night, whether it's defending like John Moran or anyone, he has three seven-footers behind Well, obviously, Lowry Markinen's out for a little while, hopefully not too long. I'd say like three to four weeks is what I'm hearing with the high ankle sprain. I mean, the Cavs just literally beat a almost 100% Bucks team that was without Grayson Allen, who's uh, I've, I don't think too highly of him, but still, he's a starting shooting guard for them. But they just beat the Bucks handily after being down nine at the end of the first quarter without their starting three-man. Lowry Markinen, who provides, who plays his role perfectly on both ends of the floor. So, I mean, it's just like, I, this is another topic we can get into. The next man up. I mean, Lowry Markinen goes down. So, Dean Wade, who sometimes has, do, did not play just coach's decision, he steps in as a starting uh, three guy and he contributes offensively, contributes defensively. It, like every, I want to write about this at some point too. Every team needs guys like Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens because they, whether they're contributing, whether they're playing, even if they don't play, they're always ready to step in and play. And even if they're not contributing in the back score, I mean, Lamar Stevens last night, he had that huge block on Giannis, which was called a foul, but it wasn't a foul. But like, even if they're not contributing in the back score, they're still bringing so much to this team that like a lot of people don't see. 
but there's a reason that all of the cast players have such high praise for both of them. You're hundred percent right. And I know a lot of folks were rolling their eyes when Kobe was talking culture. We're building the culture here, you know, 16 and 63, 1946, 22 and 50. He's still talking about culture, you know, year three. And I think a lot of folks are like, all right, all right guy, we got to start winning some games. And I mean, you're right on. He, he, brings in guys and I think a combination of what Kobe and JB are doing you know the guys are buying into their roles like most teams I don't think we see in the NBA right now like you said you know Dean Wade gets a couple of DNPs comes out and starts because Laurie goes down and, and fills up you know most of the time he's guarding the best player <laughs> on the other side when Acor is out he's guarding KD earlier in the year and I mean it's just ridiculous what he's doing and um, that's one of the things that I, I think has been really neat to watch this year is, you know, all the guys, um, young, young crew, but all the guys, you know, barking and, and getting into it and, and just enjoying to, uh, to play with one another. Yeah. I mean, the, speaking of you brought up buying into your role and the culture, Kevin love going from hated it here and doing everything on the court to try to get the hell out of Cleveland, let's be honest, excuse my language, last year and the year before, to buying into his role and seems to be loving life and loving the Cavs team is a perfect example of that. I mean, we literally were talking about how much money can, how much money would it take to get Kevin Love out of Cleveland less than 12 months ago? And now I know we discussed it in Discord today and we have an extra Discord. Now the question is, would Kevin Love take a discount to return to Cleveland after his contract expires after next season? I mean, if you need like a buy-in culture guy or an example of that, Kevin Love, boom, right there. I mean, he literally went from please buy this guy out to I'd say top three six man of the year ranking right now. And he is literally a guy bought into his role and excels tremendously i mean last night he had like 25 points i don't even know like 25 and 8 or something and i mean it's just crazy how like all the and jb bickerstaff is a huge reason why winning helps obviously but the fact that kevin love has become what he is today no literally i mean no one saw the Cavs playing this well coming but i think even less people saw this happening with kevin love yeah, after the last two years, and then what happened? The Olympic team with Colangelo just absolutely burying him, but you know, mocking him publicly, really challenging him, uh, brutal comments, and, and for him to come out, accept a lesser role, um, and, and do what he's done on a nightly basis. You're right; he's having so much fun. He, he posts more pictures this year than I think he has in the past seven years since he's been with with Cleveland. If it, <laughs> you know, I'll interrupt quick because speaking of the pictures, then. It used to be like, oh, man, who is Kevin Love subtweeting about now? Now it's like, no one cares. And like I said, winning helps that tremendously. But when a guy like, when a veteran like Kevin Love buys in, it just shows you this culture. And and plus, I mean, last night, Chetty and him were going at it in the postgame presser. The guys call him Uncle Kev, which last night they started, started calling him Grandpa Kev. It's just like... It brings me back to season 16 when they had little Lil Kev, Richard Jefferson, Channing Fry, and just like all these players seem to love being around each other. I think all these, I mean, this is cliche. You love being around each other. Yeah, you play better about uh, stuff like that. But like, 
I don't know. It just seems like these guys love being around each other, both on and off the court. I mean, seeing Kevin Love give, I, I think it was, they played last night. So I think it was like Sunday night and Monday night. He gave Darius Garland a huge hug after Darius Garland made like a huge three. I was like, holy shnikes. This is incredible. Yeah. What do they say? That vibes are off the charts, right? I mean, they're yeah. just immaculate right now. <laughs> vibes are immaculate. Yep. <laughs> That was one of the things we talked about, you know, role fitting with with JB and, and how they've gotten the buy-in. But I, I wanted to kind of wanted to talk about Kobe and you know almost his non-fit and how he's went out and gotten players. I well, I was thinking about you know some different things that that are noteworthy from this season. I, I think one of the things that you know our, our boy Kobe Altman, potential executive of the year, he's got to be you know top two, top three at worst. You saw that coming, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but thinking about who he's brought in, you know, and, and I think one of the things that he's done a, a great job of is, is really followed the uh, best player available. You know, after, after we have Colin Sexton feature the heck out of him, having, you know, shooting 30 times a night next year, let's go, let's go get Darius Garland. And we're going to have two, two small backcourt guys. Um, a lot of people kind of question the fit then. Uh, and then this past year, you know, with luckily as the number three pick falls to the Cavaliers, uh, we give Jared Allen a huge contract extension. Then, oh, we're going to go draft a seven-footer because we think he's really good. And I think a lot of people had questions at that time too. So, you know, what are they doing? Are, are you know, they need a wing? Can they go get a wing? Maybe you know, Jalen and and, and kind of level load this roster. But you know, what what he's done and and just going BPA um, and not trying to put you know a square into the hole. Um, it's really you know made an immense impact, obviously, and why he should. You know, I think he should be a serious candidate for uh, executive of the year. Yeah, I think if it if the voting was to happen right now, it would probably come down to Kobe. And I'm assuming the Grizzly, I don't know who the Grizzlies GM is. I'm assuming the Grizzlies GM would be down to those two. The two most exciting young teams in the league. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the Cavs had Colin Sexton. So people questioned why they got another 6-1, guard. And then... The Cavs just re-signed Jared Allen. So why I I forget did the re I either way I forget if the re-signing or if the extension happened before or after the draft. But if the Cavs already have a five man, a true center, why would you go out and draft seven footer Evan Mobley? I I think I mean we're always like hey you all for me in the NBA we're like a star changes so much as Evan Mobley has already proven you just always go out and get best player available. I don't care what position you have currently. I don't care what position that player is. You just always do that. And I mean, Kobe's proven that yet time and time again. And like you said, I mean, many people questioned what he was doing in this rebuild because it seemed like it was the never ending rebuild after LeBron 2.0. But it's very clear that, I mean, he had trust in JB. He had trust in the culture that he was building. And I mean, there's a reason why Kobe not only got an extension, but his role went from general manager to president of basketball operations. Dan Gilbert trusts this. I mean, when was the last time, let's be honest, when was the last time Dan Gilbert trusted his GM? <laughs> I mean, has Dan Gilbert ever trusted a GM prior to Kobe? No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> you go through the, go through the Rolodex of names, right? Uh, all the, all the different GMs that they've had in the past and, 
Um, even coaches for that matter. I've been thinking about all the, all the guys that they've flipped through some multiple times <laughs> with Mike Brown, uh, it, really encouraging. And, um, it seems like, you know, Dan has, has gotten a lot of pushback, some deservedly so over the years, but it's, it's really nice to see him kind of look like he's settling down, um, being aware that, Hey, you know, these, these positions are serious. And if you want to build a culture, you, you know, um, it's a heck of a time to do it with a bunch of young guys, but you need to hire some, you know, some excellent, uh, folks to, um, you know, to be a Memphis or, or to be a, a pacer of old and, and really grow something grassroots. Cause that's what, that's what we have to do here in, in Cleveland. We, you know, not going to acquire uh, a bunch of big name guys. So have to do it through the draft and, and smart trades and they've done a heck of a job of it. Yeah. I mean, I, we're, we're somehow going to bring Browns into a Cavs podcast because it's Cleveland, obviously. But when, I couldn't tell you the last time I trusted both the Cavs and Browns GMs to make the right decisions with Andrew Barry and Kobe. But like, the trade, the NBA trade deadlines come out February 10th. At this point, I'd love for the Cavs to make a move. To uh, basically, we all know they need to acquire a wing that can create and take some of the burden off of Darius Garland. But I'm also like, whatever Kobe decides to do, it is what it is. I mean, this year was never supposed to be the year. They were literally, like we said earlier, there's literally supposed to be. 27 so 27 i don't even know i can't do math quickly they're supposed to finish like 27 and 55 no 27 and 45 there boom boom math math guy 27 to 45 they're literally on pace to win 50 games like i said so this was never supposed to be the year and i'm fine with whatever kobe wants to do with this year and how special it's been let him do it I mean, I don't want to overpay for a guy. I, I'm right now. I'm thinking of Karis LeVert. I do not want to overpay for Karis LeVert. I love for him to be in the wine and gold jersey, but I don't want to ruin the future just to hopefully get to like. I mean, let's be honest. If the Cavs win one playoff series this year, I'm gonna be ecstatic. I don't want to ruin the future of this team just to maybe win two playoff series this year. Yep. You're hundred percent right. They, they've reached that, you know, I think Kobe's reached that rarefied era of almost Cleveland guardian status. You go back and look at the guardians trades and you're like, Ooh, fleece, fleece, fleece. Um, you know what he was able to do with Jared Allen. I completely agree with you. You know, whatever he does, I, I have a certain level of trust. And of course you've got, you know, certain guys you think are going to help take, like you said, take the burden off Garland. I think there's some good vets out there. Um, you know, we have a, the Cavaliers have a lot of different exception type stuff that, that they have as, as leverage this year. They've got Ricky Rubio's expiring deal. They've, they've still got about 4 million from JaVale McGee's trade exception. And then they have the disabled, uh, you know, dollars that they have to play with. It was just announced earlier today, which I believe was almost 9 million. So in terms of chess pieces, it seems like Kobe's got kind of full bore. He's got all of his own first round picks. He's got tons and tons of second round picks, including two high ones for this upcoming draft. So I, I'm so excited to see what he does. And like you said, I'll, I'll trust in him. I, I think he's going to make, if not one, maybe, maybe even two moves. Um, but to your point, they've, they've got some interesting decisions to make about, you know, how, how hard to go, how deep to go for this season versus long-term, um, you know, do they see Colin coming back? Do they want to fit him into, to a certain role? Um, Cause if you bring in certain guys that, that overlap just this year, um, I think you're, you're going to have some dollar issues coming up. Yeah. I mean, just while you're talking, I literally thought of like four things that we can talk about. Um, the first thing I know Robert Covington I, and I'll paraphrase this or I'll say this beforehand opposing agents 
and opposing GMs know that the Cavs are going to be in on a lot of guys. So please, if you see like the Cavs have been in on Robert Covington, it's always remember the source. An opposing GM will say the Cavs are in on someone just to get the rest of the NBA talking, maybe to get some leverage here and there. The Cavs, it's very clear that they're going to be shopping for a lot of wins when I won to whatever it is. So just always be mindful of the fact that opposing GMs know that. So they will always include the Cavs in this kind of talk. And speaking of Robert Covington, if it's a guy like that, I feel like they should not get a guy like that. Uh, like a more defense and offense guy. Cause as I said earlier, I love Lamar Stevens. He is, he might not prov- provide much in the scoring column on a nightly basis, but he plays his ass off. He isn't afraid to go up against guys like Giannis and block them, even when it's not a foul, but they call it a foul. And I mean, he provides so much and he's so young and I, I think he's not an unrestricted. Free. I think he's under the Cavs control until 2024. So I'm all for giving him all the experience he needs this year, especially come playoff time. And that'll only make him better going forward rather than getting a, a vet like Robert Covington, which I mean, it would be nice, but it's, it doesn't really give it doesn't really do much for me. So I'm I'm more about getting these young guys better and more experience because next year could be the year than bringing in a veteran that I mean it's a veteran I don't know. It's it's hard it's hard to say, but I would just if it was between a veteran that doesn't provide much offensively and a guy like Lamar Stevens, I am Lamar Stevens one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. I, I think he's Lamar's really, you know, turned out to be like the cultural leader, you know, in a certain way. Like there, there's different leaders on the team. Of course, Kevin Love, like you were talking earlier, is kind of the old Wiseman leader, um, and a few other folks. But Lamar seems to be the guy that's brought that like toughness and grit. He's the guy behind the barking. He's the first one up, and he he seems to get extremely physical, which the Cavs need. Like if you know if they're going to get into a a grueling seven game first round playoff series, they need a guy who's who's going to go, you know, knock someone's head off to get a rebound. And and you're right. He's, he's done so much. And his, his offensive games honestly impressed me a little from where it was. He, he obviously he's not a three point shooter, but he, he's got this little like one, you know, drive to the bucket. And then he's got like a little one foot fadeaway that he gets up and he's, he's made it a decent clip um, over the last month or so. So he's had a, he's had a few decent games. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, you know, expected goals for this year. And of course, be- before the year started, it was okay. 28 games. Sure. Let's hit that over bet. Uh, <laughs> and, and now with, you know, with the emergence and, and so much, I think my, where I'm setting is I, I would love to, you know, have a first round, you know, top six seed, avoid that play in tournament, but, but, you know, be competitive in a first round series. And I, I, I think that to do that, I, I do hope that the Cavaliers are able to add maybe one small piece. Um, and I'm thinking more playmaker um, because my, my biggest fear at this point is, you know, running DG uh, Garland into the ground and then not having him for the playoffs. And, you know, what, not going to learn a heck of a lot without, I think, a healthy Darius Garland. So that's the one piece I'm really interested to see, you know, what they might do, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a veteran guard like a Schroeder or even like a Dragic or or someone like that, or or even a wing that has some playmaking that we can run some offense through. I think, you know, Garland and his back, um, you know, he's been grimacing the past couple weeks. And so that's one of the things I'm really hopeful that, that Kobe may, uh, may make a move on is to, to get a little help, playmaking help, someone we can run the offense through, um, just to ease the burden off him a little bit. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, I know during the Chase Down podcast tonight, Shannon Fry said Josh Richardson, who's also on the Boston Celtics, he'd rather have a guy like Josh Richardson than Dennis Shorter simply because Josh, Richard, Josh Richardson fills the win need that the Cavs have, and he's a playmaker. He might not provide like the most efficient scoring, but Dennis Schroeder is more defense first, and he's a ball dominant point guard. So I don't, I feel like the Cavs already had that guy in Rajon Rondo, who was a great addition. Kobe, I mean, he maybe shoots the ball sometimes, but he shouldn't. But, and I guess now we move on to the Ricky Rubio conversation. Ricky Rubio was most likely the leading candidate for sixth man of the year, the way his season started. He's not done for the season, which has been a huge burden for Darius Garland, but it also has put Darius Garland in a spot where he knows that he must, in order for the Cavs to win, Darius Garland must be playing well. If he's not shooting well, he must be passing the ball well. I know a couple nights ago he was like six of 19 from the floor, but then he had like 13 assists. I'm like, Boom, that's all you need. So it's a huge reason why Darius Garland has made the leap this year, quote-unquote, has been, one, I think just the team around him, but I think he has finally realized his role. And I'm not saying that Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton getting hurt is a good thing, but in terms of Darius Garland's experience, I guess you'd say, it has been huge because, I mean, he's the guy. At point guard, he is the guy. There's no Colin Sexton. There's no Ricky Rubio that can take some of the burden off of you. And, I mean, Darius Garland, his back is hurting because he's literally carrying the load. Technically, or literally, I guess I said literally twice. But he's literally carrying the load for the point guard. And, I mean, Darius, it's crazy to think that the Cavs, with All-Star game in Cleveland next month, that the Cavs, I know the starters were announced. No Cavs made the starting role, which we can talk about that because I hate the fan voting side of that. It is what it is. But we could argue who deserves a better shot at the All-Star game, Jared Allen or Darius Garland. The fact that we can argue about that is incredible to me. That was something I read in the WFNY Discord today. Uh, who would have thought we'd be sitting here with two fringe? I, I mean, I, I think at least one is, is going to make it, if not both. And then the, the franchise centerpiece, who, who should be rookie of the year, you know, all in all within the, the last couple months. So uh, it's, it's so damn impressive. It's a dream. It literally is a dream. Because, <laughs> I mean, even like this season started in October, if you would have told me this in August that the Cavs would have the franchise is centerpiece and two potential all-stars. I'm like, you are on drugs. There's no shot. There's no shot. And now we even, I mean, I, I guess we'll, I'll, this wasn't on my list on my notes list, but the fact that like, Hey, LeBron wants to come back to Cleveland to compete for a championship is even like, and a lot of people joke around it, but the fact that it's even a joke that seems legitimate shows you how far this team has come. LeBron literally has a would have a better shot with the Cavs as currently constructed than he would with the Lakers. Let that sink in for a second. That's what uh, that that's what makes it so tough. You know, a lot of folks are like, "Okay, we're finally past this point. We finally have a team that can make the playoffs without LeBron." And then the the rumors get out there. Hey, I think LeBron might want to go back. It's like, well, they they do kind of need a three. So yeah. <laughs> let's think and about that. <laughs> someone on Twitter, like right before he hopped on here, said, "All right, 
how high in the in the All-Star game draft does LeBron draft Darius Garland and Jared Allen, assuming they make the All-Star team? I'm like, LeBron, he's a smart man. So this is the last time I'll talk about LeBron during this Cavs podcast. But LeBron's a smart man. He knows what he... I he just, like, does the smart... He might not be the smartest man in terms of other things, but basketball-wise, he does everything right. Besides wanting Russell Westbrook to be a Laker, but that's not for this discussion. Yep, that, that's for us to watch on TNT and ESPN because they get every national game and, and laugh at. <laughs> yeah, speaking of how the Cavs had... Okay, the Cavs had zero national games. That's expected. They were supposed to be the third burst team in the NBA this year. But even with all these flex and change, these flexes and changes, how did they only get one national game? Literally, everyone who doesn't want to watch the Cavs, a young up and coming team that's fun and entertaining to watch, that has two all stars, well, hopefully two all stars, and a franchise centerpiece that's literally twenty years old, that plays three seven footers and somehow has the best defense, one of the best defenses in the league, even though people questioned why they were going with a big ball lineup when everyone else was going small. It's just like, I feel like for the first time in a long time, a lot of NBA fans are jealous of Cavs fans. Am I wrong? You're hundred percent right. And I think it's, I think it's compounded by, you know, we, the Cavaliers have, you know, I've tended to have some pretty good luck in the lottery. So it's like, okay, another first round pick Kyrie, another first round pick Wiggins, et cetera. And top, you know, top four picks moved up from eight. And, and even in this past draft, when they, I think they moved, what was it from, from seven or eight to three to, you know, to end up taking Mobley. I think between, uh, you know, between sniping those lottery picks and, um, you know, having a big three, I think I heard, I heard Jason Lloyd talk about that today on a nine, two, three was, you know, having a, and building a big three organically is almost unheard of now. You know, you have to, you have to really sell off all your assets to get three guys. It's impossible to do it via draft and trade. Well, you know, Cleveland is, is one of those unique cases. It looks like as of now that they're going to have a, a top three that, that they didn't have to get rid of all their assets. They still have all their first round picks and some ammo. So, you know, the um, execution of, of Kobe is going to be really interesting over the next couple of years, but it's so exciting that, you know, that we can talk about a big three and, and you're right. I think everyone wants a, a monster like Mobley running around in the paint. <laughs> Everyone besides Houston, which speaking of Houston, uh, I know like Houston, we have a problem. We, the Cavs literally jumped into the Houston Brooklyn trade and stole Jared Allen, who could have easily went to Houston, but they had Christian Wood. So Jared Allen didn't fit. So they jumped into that trade, got Jared Allen for basically nothing. And then Houston drafts. I mean, I'm not saying that, um, why can't I think of his name right now? Who did the Houston stretch? Jalen Green. I'm not saying that Jalen Green isn't the guy at the with the second pick, but the fact that they drafted Jalen Green and let Evan Mobley fl- slip to the Cavs at three, I mean, it was literally franchise changing for the Cavs. For literally the Jared, the Jared, 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 I can't talk. The Jared Allen trade was the first bingo card, but the fact that they then let Evan Mobley slip to three. Both of those moves were franchise changing, and it's the reason why the Cavs are where they are right now. Can't let any Houston Rocket fans listen to this. They're they're going to be looking for the the top floor. This is not this is not okay. And then we're going to steal Eric Gordon from from them too. <laughs> yep, that's a three. Uh, it's just unbelievable. You're, 
you're so right. Franchise changing player is exactly what it was. I could even say, you know, even with, with DG and, and Allen, you know, there, there's certainly going to be a boost this year, but w- without Mobley, it's, you know, the ceiling is, um, can't, can't really put anything on top of it. I mean, it's absolute franchise changing player and pick and, um, yeah, it's so exciting. I mean, I, I still won that the Cavs literally jumped into the Brooklyn, the trade that sent James Harden from Houston to Brooklyn, the Cavs literally jumped in as a third team and got Jared Allen, one of the best centers in the league. I mean, he, I guess he was super underrated because people now thought then thought that he was overrated because the Cavs gave him five and five years, $100 million extension. Like, I, like we said earlier, but now, I mean, if he is an automatic 15 and 12 guy, 15, okay, 15 and 10 guy every night, plus defense, plus the rim protector, plus, I mean, if he gets the ball within two feet, he is slamming that ball in your face. He doesn't care who's in front of him. It's same with Evan Mobley. I mean, Evan Mobley just put freaking Giannis on a poster last night. Jared Allen's had a couple posters. Isaac, I guess this is a great segue into Isaac Okoro. Isaac Okoro had a poster. I, wait, was that poster dunk against Houston, by the way? I have to look that up. I'm not sure. I think it was. Now that now that I said that, I think it was. I and I did not mean to do that until I just thought about it. Isaac Okura, not the best offensive player, but he is a guy like Lamar Stevens who will work his ass off defensively. And you can if he's on the court, you can count on him to take away well, do his best to take away or at least make things very tough for the opposing player's best non big man, whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's LeBron, James Harden. I mean, last night, Giannis had like 28 points, but he those 28 points were probably the toughest 28 points in a regular season game he's ever had. He worked for everything, and a huge reason why was Isaac Okoro and just, I mean, I know we talked about the three seven-footers and being a huge reason why that the defense has been a top three defense in the league, but Isaac Okoro is obvious. There is another huge reason. I mean, if he provides, I know I said this earlier in the season, if he provides like 12 points a night and is in a, like a 45% shooter, I am perfectly fine with that because he provides so much on the defense and on the floor that like that kind of stuff will never show up in the back store unless you look, look at the analytics. Yeah, he he's developed kind of a hit list over this year. Uh, he he's had a, a couple graphics of of guys where he's defended them games in a row and, and held them to thirty percent. I know Kyrie was was one of those folks. Bradley Beal was another. He's he's quickly becoming one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. Some of the advanced stats, the the LeBron, not to, not bringing up LeBron, but there's a LeBron statistic um, where I saw he was top five earlier today. So he he's quickly becoming for me one of those guys that. Maybe before this season, he he showed, you know, like you said earlier, some some rockiness on the offensive side. The defense wasn't quite where it is now. You know, maybe he's a guy that you give up during the trade deadline. He's he's getting a lot closer to me for that. Eh, may, you know, I don't know if I'd necessarily make him available because of his fit on this team. He plays such an important role to, you know, to take on, like you said, whether it's a guard, whether it's Trey Young. You know, he, he's guarded the heck out of him earlier this year, or it's a, a six, eight guy. You know, they trust him to defend um, really one through even four at times. And he does a heck of a job. So he's starting to enter that zone where I'm not thinking about trading the Coro. 
um, unless you're getting something really advantageous in the deal because he has so much upside. He's so raw, so strong. And if that offense comes, uh, watch out. I mean, it's he's going to be a heck of a player. Yeah, I mean, I just looked up his stats. He's shooting 45% from the field, 28% from three. If he can just get that three-point number up to like, I'd even take like 33, 34%. And and like you said, I the Cavs don't have many trade pieces this year besides picks and their exceptions. But I think I'm on the like like we said earlier this season. One enjoy it because it will be literally the most fun you'll ever have as a Cavs fan. There's literally no exceptions, and they're not they're a fun and entertaining team to watch. And or no expect I said no exceptions. The Cavs have exceptions. No expectations. If you're not having fun this year watching the Cavs, you'll literally never have fun watching the Cavs. No expectations, and they're one of the best teams in the league. You can't ask for much more than that. With that, I want Isaac Okoro to develop more as a Cavalier. He he's in year two. He still has plenty of time. I mean, he's super. He just had his. This is a tangent too. The Cavs have 15 players. Three of them had birthdays yesterday. What are the chances of that? 20% of the roster share the same birthday. I'm waiting for a response from you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the statistical odds of that, but it's got to be high. <laughs> I'm wondering what what the boys were up to yesterday. They get a good steak at Red or you know, it, somewhere downtown where they had to be doing something fun. Yeah, especially because they played last night, huge win, and then they're off until Sunday. You know they went out last night. Who knows where, <laughs> but especially in the cold weather in Cleveland. But So I'm with Isaac. I do not want – I'll put my foot down. I do not want the Cats to trade him. He's young. He has plenty of time to develop. He's nowhere near his prime. He's already a top 10 individual defensive player in the league. If he just develops a little bit more offensively, that is a great piece for a team that has Darius Garland. And a great piece that that the Cavs already have, like you said, the Cavs already have a big three. So when you have another guy, a guard that can literally guard positions one through four, and make things very tough for that player. You need that kind of player. I don't care. I mean, PJ Tucker, it seems like he's 45 years old and he's still starting in the NBA because he literally is defense first. He makes his corner threes, which I hope Isaac does soon. But you, every successful team needs that player that makes things tough for the opponent's best offensive player. Yeah, I know one of the things that that they tried to do a lot in summer league was really try to have him develop his playmaking. You know, do a handle there. He was running a bunch of offense through him at, you know, in summer league and, and trying to see what they got. And even stretches last year where everyone was dinged up. I mean, he was he was getting shots up. He had a great run. I think he was around twenty points per game, um, somewhere around you know last seven games, somewhere around there. So he was had a heck of a end of the season. But you're right with with a point guard like Darius Garland, he doesn't need to have the best handle. Um, hit the corner three. Have have some stretch um, ability for Mobley and Allen to operate. You know, space the floor a little bit. Make them respect the shot just enough where you know you have that great spacing and and let Darius kind of run the offense. So I, I I'm right there with you. I I think uh, he he's quickly become one of the guys. It's like no, it's unless it's a home run. It, you know, I see no no reason why he's got such potential. Uh, he could he could be another home run and ha- honestly have great value. That that's something else I've thought about with this Cavs team this year is. You know how many guys are just severely outplaying the you know their the value of their contract right now, and it's going to be that way I think for a little bit. Obviously, 
Garland's coming up soon and, and they should they should pay him as soon as they possibly can. But, you know, thinking about Mobley and Okoro and, and even to a degree, I think Allen is outpaying his, you know, 20 million per year. Um, you know, really exciting to think what, what they have going on right now in terms of value and, um, you know, what, what play they're getting out of that value. Man, the Cavs have guys that are undervalued. It's crazy. It, I mean, the fa- I know I said this multiple times already. The fact that the Cavs, I mean, looking at the NBA standings, 30 and 19, they're currently in third place in the East. They have the best net rating in the East, the fourth best net rating in the league. No, um, yeah, fourth best. It just, and then there's, so speaking of standings and the fact that they're 30 and 19, the Cavs have had one of the toughest schedules through 49 games in the NBA. Due to that, now they have one of the easiest schedules in their final 32 games. And they are in third place in the conference. I mean, these next seven games, I, I'd have to look at the, at, it's these next seven games, they should be favored in all seven. I think six of the seven are against teams that are not in the currently in the playoffs or playing. And I mean, you could realistically say that the Cavs should win the next seven games. It's crazy. It is literally mind-boggling to me. I was going to rattle them off for you. They've got Pistons, Pelicans, Rockets, Hornets, who is the first you know foe that you can say is is battling for playoffs. Pacers, Spurs, Pacers. I mean, you're dead on that, you know, that's seven in a row that they should be favored, um, you know, and, and where they're at today with, with the rest of the schedule, I think, like you said, fourth easiest, the, the rest of the way home, what an opportunity to, to take another leap one and a half back of, of the first overall seed right now. So, uh, we were talking earlier before we started and, you know, five and two, six and one, seven and oh, I mean, that, that's kind of where, where we're at, right? Four and three is a disappointment at this point with, with this team and that. Those exactly. <laughs> Four and three is a disappointment. Seriously, <laughs> let that sink. And, by the way, it's six. So, Indiana's twice. So, it's six teams that literally play zero defense. Zero. I mean, the Charlotte just Charlotte just won last night like 158 to 130 or something absolutely ridiculous. So, I mean, if the Cavs play some defense, I mean, like like you said, like I said earlier too, the Cavs should go five and two these next seven. And it's worth noting that uh, the seventh game, which is at Indiana, in this seven game e- pretty easy stretch, is February eleventh. So it's one day after the trade deadline. I think Indiana's team will look much different. They're rebuilding. I don't think they'll have at least one of Lavert. Miles oh, Mile Turner's hurt, so he they won't have him as it is. I, th- I think two of the three will be traded, though. Levert, Miles Turner, and Sabonis. So Indiana is not only not a good team right now, but they'll be even worse come February 11th. And, I mean, if the Cavs, man, if the Cavs go 7-0 in these this seven-game stretch, excuse my language, but holy shit. Like, one, they'll be first in the East. I, I, that's probably – they're one and a half back. If they go 7-0, they'll probably be first in the East. Man, they'll be 37 and 19, first in the East. I'd, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. If that happens, I, I'll be speechless. I'm already speechless, but I'll be even more speechless. Yeah, you, you look at you know who's a, who's in front of them and who's right with them right now. Chicago is dealing with a bunch of injuries. Uh, Brooklyn Nets obviously without KD and Kyrie, you know, 50 percent of the time. Uh, the Bucks have had some nagging stuff. Gian. You know, um, and Takubo has, has had some knee soreness. The the one thing that 
I'm really interested in um, the rest of the way, obviously with a light schedule, but the 76, I'm sorry, the, yeah, Philadelphia 76ers, they've somehow avoided them so far this year and they've got four games packed from now till till April with them. Um, so with Philly kind of lurking around that five six seed right now, that's that's one uh, you know a little four game stretch. I'm going to be very interested in is kind of like Giannis. How do the Cavs match up against Embiid? You know how do they play him? Is it similar to Giannis or is it a little bit more traditional? Um, that's one you know one stretch of games I'm going to be very interested in is Cavs versus 76ers. I did not realize that the Cavs play the 76 76ers four more times this year that's crazy after avoiding them like that that is a very interesting schedule fact that you just said and looking at their schedule their final two games at brooklyn versus versus milwaukee so i mean the Cavs. i mean the Cavs have to take advantage of this i know they have like you said I, it's one of the easiest schedules from here on out i think you said the fourth easiest they have to take advantage of the seven game stretch especially prior i mean if they go five and one or six now prior to the trade deadline that might change things for the way Kobe thinks about this season too. Like we said earlier, I don't want him to throw all the chips in the basket, but I mean, if they go say five and one, that puts them at 35 and 20 <laughs> second, probably second in the East. Maybe he throws, maybe he goes all in without giving up any of the main guys. I mean, at this point, do first round picks really matter? Do we, you don't want to have too many young guys because you're going to have to pay them at some point. You're going to have to pay. I mean, Darius Garland is going to get the max extension. It's just a matter of when, not if. Colin Sexton, I mean, maybe he's a trade chip, but he's been back with the team lately and it seems like he's loving life. So maybe he, if he knows his role, which is coming off the bench and being the main scorer with Kevin Love off the bench, maybe you sign him to a cheap extension, $15 million a year. And then you have, I'd I'd say I'm fine with them trading Pangos. I love Ed Davis just because his locker room and veteran. It seems like he never plays, but when he starts in place of an injured big man, he gets a double-double, no matter what, even though he doesn't, but that's what it seems like. I'm fine with them trading Kevin Pangos, Ed Davis, the exceptions, and Ricky Rubio's expiring contract. I think that's all I, I'd want them to do. Oh, and first round picks. Cause at this point, I mean, does a first round pick really matter? And to your point about, you know, picking 23rd, they have so many young guys on this team. Not only is their core all young, their rotational pieces, they they've grown are all young too. You know, Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade, we'll see what happens with, with Goodwin, obviously, but you know, on both sides, wh- whether it be the bench or, or the, you know, the starting unit, they're all young. So I a hundred percent agree with you. Don't need any more young guys, um, having, you know, moving more towards these like one year rental type, giving them some flexibility to sign these guys and, you know, get guys off the book simultaneously. I think it's going to be really important for, for Kobe to do, um, cause they bring in too many more, um, first rounders. They're going to have a tough time. Yeah, I think I saw when I was scrolling through Twitter earlier, Fear the Swords, David Zavik. He said, I don't know which picks the Cavs have in the second round this year without looking it up, but if the draft was today, the Cavs would have picked 24, 34, and 37, I think is what I saw. So those I, I know you said early, those two early round, second round picks could be huge too. That could be a huge trade chip. I mean, I don't know. It's just crazy to think that they can – Keep this core around. I'd say keep your top nine guys, and you can still add a key piece 
that will help you win a playoff series, which is literally, I mean, if the Cavs win 50 plus games and win a playoff series next year, the, this off season is going to be absolutely madness. If that happens one and two, I mean, it's still, I know I've said this multiple times. It's mind boggling to me that the Cavs can win 50 games this year, literally mind boggling. (laughs) They have a chance to seriously double their projected win total. If they have a good rest of the way to double it. Wait, how many losses? What's their record right now? Where they so 19, 30, 30, 19. Yeah. So right now they they'd have to lose. Wait, the, the most wins they can get now is sixty three. So fifty four. They they got to win. Have to go twenty four and seven the rest of the way. But if they go seven and zero during the seven game stretch, that leaves them at seventeen and seven. It's, so you're telling me there's a chance. Hey, and Embiid's been hurt before, so four games against the Sixers could look very different uh, without against, Embiid. So. <laughs> true. Against the Sixers, I would literally just let Embiid score whatever he wants mm-hmm. and just don't let anyone – I know it's easy for me to say, don't let anyone else – like don't put all of your chips in the basket to guard Joel Embiid. I know we – if the, by the way, I hope this is a weekly podcast, but – if it is weekly, we can talk about the Sixers matchup. When's the next one? February 12th is the first one of the four. Because that is huge. I mean, that have, will have huge playoff implications. It'll be interesting to see how Evan Mobley and Jared Allen do against a guy like Joel Embiid, who is literally averaging like 42 points a game over his last like six games or something insane. But, man, it is. The fact that the Cavs, I feel like, going into every game every night, that the Cavs have a good chance of winning. For the years now, ever since without LeBron, it's been like, well, how much are the Cavs going to lose by tonight? Hopefully, hopefully they're competitive. Now, it, like the hopefully the competitive thing is such like, yes, it makes sense, but one, it's a well, two, it's a loser mentality just because that's like, hey, I'm expecting my team to lose, but I hope they're competitive. But now this team is just like so fun, and they're literally appointment television. A lot of times, I, I just keep going off on tangents. A lot of times, like, I know Gerbs and Waiting for Next Year Discord said that this is the most Cavs games he's watched in a while, regular season games. And I feel like the Cavs are just like appointment television, whether you're a Cavs fan or not. Just because the way they play, the way they have fun together, how entertaining their type of style and game is, and how, and last and certainly not least, how young they are. They're starting five when fully healthy are all 24 or I uh, can't talk 24 years old or younger. They have one of the youngest starting lineups in the league and they're a top 10 team easily. Yeah. They've, they've got to get on ESPN TNT. I mean, it's, it's getting atrocious that they, I think they have one game against the Raptors in like March that got flexed. They got to get two or three more on there. Hopefully some, some good matchups down the stretch. Those, those last couple games you referenced with Brooklyn and, um, in the Bucks might be a heck of a time to to flex them up. I, I know that there was a segment on I think ninety two three, I believe it was yesterday, about folks being just really pissed off because they couldn't get the games. There's been so much, you know, challenge through Bally and and you know what provider do you have to sign in? And there's a huge want from a fan perspective to get in to watch these games. I know I was struggling uh, trying to watch some training camp games and refreshing the phone and trying to figure out how to download the app and. Yeah, it's you're right. It's 100% appointment TV. Um, you know, best part of the week is sitting down and enjoying some some Cavs defense for for two and a half hours. 
And I think one one of the things, uh, one of the stats that I saw earlier today just seems ridiculous. I had to have to bring up is uh, they've ended up holding, uh, I believe it was now 20 teams under 100 points this year. And in this NBA, I think, you know, the highest scoring team is averaging like 115 to hold 20 teams under 100 points is just ridiculous. Just, you know, so much fun. And that's one of those things where, uh, you know, not to be too cliche, but defense travels and we're a tough town, hardworking town, all that BS that the Browns tell us. The blue collar. <laughs> yeah, the blue collar. Us in Buffalo and all that. But, man, it's, it is fun when you see, uh, you know, Mobley block someone or, or Allen just take someone down and, and uh, yeah, got to love it. <laughs> Nothing is given. Everything is earned. Is that another cliche for a blue collar town? <laughs> Nailed it. Lunch pail, baby. <laughs> That's the worst, too. Like, oh, man, I'm so glad this team drafted this guy because he, he fits that town to a T. Like, get the hell out of here. All right. <laughs> right. So I, I know we talked about a lot. I went off on plenty of tangents. I guess one of the last things we have to talk about, February 10th, trade deadline, like we said. If there was one, no, let's say if there were three guys that you hope the Cavs would get, like say if they hope you hope they get either one or two of them, who would your three guys be? Do you have three? Yeah, I think I've got like thirteen. Oh, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop it down a little bit here. Um, no, share but, all thirteen. Share all thirteen. No, 13. All right. The you know the one guy that I heard um, recently that that was completely off the radar. I think Fedor said it on a podcast. Derek White from the Spurs. So you know they're obviously building around uh, Dejounte Murray. Um, and, and White's on a decent contract. I think he's getting somewhere around like 15 a year. Um, but he, he's he's that guy that would immediately take some pressure off Garland. But I think, you know, looking into the, the future, if they do decide that, that Sexton's not in their long-term plans, I think he'd be a, a heck of a backcourt. Um, type. He's a little bit bigger. I think he's about six, four. He's got a nice, nice long wingspan. So Derek White's a guy that intrigues me if, you know, like you said earlier, if it's not attached with a bunch of assets. So he's that guy for me where, you know, if they're going to do some type of deal beyond this year um, and and for whatever reason, if they wouldn't want to bring Sexton back, I think he'd be an intriguing option. Um, Talking about maybe some more rental type guys. I, I think like you said earlier, you know, Dennis, the the menace is pretty ball dominant. I'm not sure how him and Rondo <laughs> would collaborate throughout the rest of the year. Um, I'm very worried about that. Um, I, I do think Levert. Let me no, hold on. Let me step in. That would be a lot of defense in the backcourt for the second unit. But there'd be like literally no shots outside of two feet that I'd be confident in. But <laughs> all right, go on. <laughs> And I'll, I'll just give two more, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll tear this guy kind of, I think he fits two traits and you talked about him earlier, but Levert, you know, very concerned about his health injury. Um, you know, we'd have to play him into next season, which, which is questionable based on the roster, but he fills, I think that immediate need of both playmaking and a scoring wing. So getting a playoff series, you know, defense ramps up. Cavs really only have one guy that can initiate the offense. If they can take the load off Darius and get a guy like Levert for, um, you know, for the next year and a half, I think that'd be a big deal. Um, so he's my, you know, he's my two trait guy. And then I think if, if they're just going to say, Hey, you know, we just want a shooting three and D kind of wing. 
um, type of player. Um, I think for, for some of the Sacramento guys, especially healed, you're going to have to give up some, some assets that you may not want to. Um, so I, I do think like that Eric Gordon, maybe is the buy high Aaron holiday, maybe the buy low Pacers, you know, can't be asking too much from him. I think he's 6 million per year over the next couple of years. Um, I think he'd be a decent fit and, you know, probably not a significant upgrade from like a, from like a Chetty type type deal, but you know, another solid pro that, that may be able to help out a bit. Man, I, I, I love Carousel Vert. I love his story too. Just like the way I, I forget what exactly was wrong with his physical, but like the fact that he was traded and being traded is what basically saved his NBA career and his, maybe his life. His story is awesome. It's just, his health just scares me. He seems like he's always hurt. I think he's, he hasn't played more than 54 games in like five, four or five years. Yes, like you said, he would be a perfect fit for this team because he's a playmaking guy that can make make shots from deep, initiate the offense, create shots for both himself and his teammates. But his health just scares me. And I know the Pacers have been long rumored to be going into a full-on rebuild. So they're going to be asking a lot. Maybe by February 10th, they realize that they're not going to get as much as they're asking for. But I don't think I'm I'm okay with – I know I said earlier too, first-round picks, why do they matter anymore? But I don't think I'm okay with giving away multiple first-round picks for a guy like Karis LeVert. So I – but like we both agreed with, I trust trusting Kobe, right? I mean, whatever he does, I'm going to be okay. If Kobe didn't want to do that, he didn't want to do it. If Kobe did that, he did it. It's just – I'm at the point, trust, hashtag trust in Kobe. <laughs> We're going to get that trending, hashtag trust in Kobe. I mean, no no one knows the, you know, the the culture, the lime, all that good stuff. I'm sure any any type of move, they're going to be so careful uh, about messing up, you know, the DNA of the team. Um, I, I was really interested in the Rajon Rondo deal. I was a little nervous about him coming in. Um, but it looks so far, so far, it's early. Looks like he's he's kind of fit right in. But but yeah, I think with how they've overachieved and, and so much of it being just playing their asses off every night for each other, selflessness. I, I think, um, like you said, trusting Kobe, they're not going to bring in someone that's going to you know that's going to hurt that. Yeah, one. That's another thing too that we didn't really discuss. Kobe knows the type of chemistry this team has and how they just all vibe together. Like we both discussed, so I don't think he's going to be in, bring in the guy, even if he's really good on the court, I don't think he's going to bring in the guy that maybe messes up the chemistry and messes up the, I don't just like what this team has going for him right now. But speaking of Rondo and going back to the chase down podcast with Justin and Carter, they had Serena Winters on uh, a couple of nights ago, I think two, three nights ago now. Uh, she's a sideline reporter for Bali Sports, and she said that it's crazy how Rondo does so much off the court, like on the sidelines and stuff that just like the average fan doesn't see on the TV. It's, she said like just whether it's like the scouting report or like being like, hey, this guy isn't good at this. You should go at this guy with this. You shouldn't do this with Darius Garland. I think that is a huge I know we discussed this earlier, too. It seems like we discussed a lot. Darius Garland made the leap this year. That's confirmed. But I think a huge reason for that is because of veteran back, a veteran backup point guard like Ricky Rubio and Rajon Rondo both in practice and just, like, being able to learn from them in game. Maybe it's not stuff that's on the court, but it's, like, the scouting report or in the film sessions or just, like, getting, like, those little, like, like I said, if, like, 
if a guy does this, you should do this. It's stuff that a coach can't necessarily do, but if a veteran backup like Rajon Rondo and uh, Ricky Rubio are, I think that's a huge reason for Darius Garland's leap too. And that just all goes back to just the whole team chemistry thing, thin, and just like the culture. And like you said multiple times, I said it, the culture. It all starts and ends with the culture, and just JB and Kobe have built it, and now the Cavs are thriving from it. Yeah, yeah, good vibe, good vibes only from us of the way here. Um, one of the things I, I was hoping to hit on, maybe before um, you know, before we wrapped up, I had to hit the gambling corner. It's you and I talk about it <laughs> here all and there. for fun, all for fun, all for obviously. Fun. Yes, because gambling is not legal in Ohio, so it's all for it's all just uh, monopoly money. I promise. Yep, absolutely. The the Cavaliers were on a a unique tear earlier this year. Um, that you know, you text buddies from other states that that are legal to bet in, and you're, you're tracking their bets and record and all that good stuff. I looked earlier tonight, and Cavaliers are thirty sixteen and three against the spread. So th- I think they're covering at like a sixty seven percent rate. Um, if you're throwing a hundred bucks in every game, you're you're up over eleven hundred bucks. Absolute money maker. So not only are they helping out, you know, the fans, we're getting to see a good product, making money, baby. Let's go, making money. That's what it's all about, right? Having fun, making money. And I guess we'll stick with the betting side of things. Maybe we should do like a. I wish, I wish this was a full time job so we can do a daily gambling podcast. That'd be so fun, but. All right, so the Cavs overall, so starting off a game on the right side of the scoreboard is huge, especially for a young team like the Cavs. So against the spread in the first quarter, they're 32-15-2. With, if you were to bet $10 on them in the, every game this year and to for them to get the, beat the first quarter spread, you'd be up $150 right now. Just to $10 as a unit. But so 30-15-2. 30, 32 15 and 2 not bad at all away from home they're 23 and 2 against the spread i mean cover monsters <laughs> cover monsters away from home too getting off to a hot start away from home i mean that's one of the i mean the gambling isn't one of the huge reasons why they're doing so well but getting off to a hot start is and i mean the gambling and the numbers prove it yeah, it's been such a fun, such a fun year checking in with guys, guys in Chicago, my friends that are betting, and I mean they're they're pinging me every you know every, every game. Hey, they they covering? Like yeah, they, they've covered all season. Sure, why why the heck won't they this game? Right? I think Vegas is going to slowly catch up here and, and try to even it out. But but man, Vegas it's been a hates ride. the Cavs. Vegas <laughs> hates the Cavs. By the way, yes, I know you do. wrote about it earlier, but like it's <laughs> if you were to if you were to bet like ten dollars for every game for the Cavs to win. I think it was for the Cavs to win like a month ago. You would have been up not at 10, $100. You would, you would have been up like 1500 bucks just for the win straight up. Just because like their first like seven wins were all as underdogs. So it just, and like we always say, good teams win, great teams cover. Isn't that the same? <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were taking down some plus 200, plus 250s. Man, if, if you were betting them uh, as dogs, you, you were doing well. And then I jumped on the train way too late with my hypothetical monopoly money, but it is what it is. But yeah, yeah. I, how do we not? I didn't even write this in the notes yet that we were we should have talked about betting because just because the Cavs had been the best team in terms of 
against the spread in the league by far. And it's not even close. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We we may need to have like a little little gambling corner here. This we we got something going here. Ooh, I like that the gambling corner. With all with monopoly money. That will be like the gambling corner and then, then like little fine print with monopoly money will be on the bottom. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> until it's until it's legal in Ohio, which is hopefully sooner rather than later, because Ohio is literally missing out on millions and millions of dollars right now. Come on, guys. Get it across the finish line. Let's go. All right. So we hour and five minutes in. I still feel like we haven't talked about all the things that we could talk about. Any final thoughts from you, Seth? No, not not to knock on what you said earlier, but if you can't have fun watching the team this year, I, I don't know what you're doing. Don't don't worry about the ceiling. Don't worry about the second round of the playoffs. Enjoy this. This is the biggest turnaround in like ten years of any team. Just enjoy it. It's been so much fun. I, frankly, I'm excited to you know to talk with you you know over the next several weeks and keep tracking this team. And it's been so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I know it's been said multiple times. If you aren't having fun watching the Cavs this year, you will literally never have fun watching the Cavs because they're not only one of the best teams in the league, but they literally have no expectations. They were they were supposed to be a bottom three team in the league. 49 games in, they're a top three team in the East. So, yeah, their ceiling is unlimited right now. And I'm just with Kobe, like I said with Kobe Altman, that the trade deadline, whatever happens, happens. I mean, the Cavs have already exceeded expectations. They could lose. It's not going to happen. And they can lose every game from here on out. And the expectations for next season are going to be huge. And I mean, even like you said earlier, they have a 98% chance of making a top six seed right now. Who saw no one's literally no one saw that coming. So just like, I don't want to be too cliche with the Indian slash guardians, but just enjoy them. Please enjoy them. Very well put. Just enjoy it. (laughs) I had to dig Dolan a little bit. But yeah, so this is the first of many, I hope, with Seth, Seth and myself. And I haven't podcasted about the Brown or the geez, Browns. That is just like muscle memory. I haven't podcasted about the Cavs all season, and I've been wanting to. So I'm glad that Seth not only joined up waiting for next year, but he decided to join me as a co host as well. So hopefully, this will be a weekly thing going forward. It might not be every Thursday. We scheduled this one for Thursday because they, we were going to do last night, but the Cavs played last night, and we knew that a lot of Cavs fans would be watching the game, and obviously we wanted to watch the game. So it won't be every Thursday, but it'll most likely be an off night at some point. And hopefully it's yeah, hopefully it's weekly because there's so much things to talk about with this Cavs team, and especially if they keep winning because talking about winning basketball is so easy. So if you're watching us live, thank you for joining us. Always be sure to leave a comment. We'll respond to some. There weren't too many comments tonight, but we'll respond to comments. If you have a question, we can post it at the bottom and we can talk about it. If you're listening to us on uh, anywhere where you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, I mean, there's like a thousand apps, it seems like, for podcasts. Please, always be sure to tune in. And yeah, if you watch us live, always be sure to comment and just check in with us. And I appreciate you guys for joining us. And I hope this is the week within. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. 
We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.